welcome to Lesson 17 in our Biblical Womanhood series. Today, I want to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to be talking about the woman's role in the church. Now, a number of years ago, when I was first asked to teach on this subject, I was a little nervous about it. In fact, to be honest, I felt a little intimidated. But the more I researched, read the thoughts and teachings of some wise and godly men, and most importantly, the more I studied the scripture, I increasingly began to realize the great importance and magnitude of this subject. It's vitally important that we address this issue in the day in which we are living. In his book, Equal Yet Different, Alexander Strzok says, one of the most significant changes in human history has occurred in the past 50 years, the gender revolution. Well, he wrote that book more than 20 years ago before we even saw the rise in the gender confusion that we are seeing today. I believe Mr. Strzok, as well as a number of godly people, could see the downward slope that we were on when the roles and identities of men and women began to become progressively interchangeable in our society. For years, there's been a widespread movement aimed at erasing the distinctives between men and women. Even in church denominations that have historically held to a biblical position on this subject, the roles have been blurred. So it's imperative that we understand the gender-specific roles for ministry that are laid out for us in God's Word. We need to begin asking ourselves, what does the Bible say about the woman's role in the church? Now, there are many hotly debated opinions on this matter, but what I think or what you think really isn't all that important because it's not my church and it's not your church. It's God's church. And so what matters is how he wants his church to function. Now, up to this point in our teaching, I have purposely stayed away from labels that are not explicitly found in Scripture. Labels such as Calvinism, Arminianism, Cessationist, Continuist, often mean different things to different people, and they're commonly used to divide the body of Christ. But sometimes, especially in a teaching context, labels are beneficial to help us understand different views within Christendom. And I believe that we have arrived at the time in our study on biblical womanhood that I need to use some of those labels. In Christian circles, there are two major views on this issue of gender. The first is the evangelical feminist view, or as it's more commonly referred to, the egalitarian view. This position teaches that men and women are equal, but it also teaches that true equality requires equal authority in the home as well as identical ministry opportunities in the church for both sexes. The second position, the complementarian view, teaches that God did indeed create men and women equal in worth, but with different gender-defined roles. This stance, which I believe is clearly the biblical one, emphasizes not only the equality of the sexes, but the complementary differences between them as well. Before we can adequately address the issue of 
the part that God desires for women to play in the church, we had to go back all the way to creation and look at his design in the creation of male and female. We need to make sure that we have a biblical view of manhood and, God, and womanhood and God's purpose and roles that he has for both. That's why I began our study on biblical womanhood in the very first book of the Bible with creation. It's foundational for any teaching along these lines. So before we look closely at the role of women in the church, I would like to just briefly review some of the things we gleaned from our time in the first three chapters of Genesis. The first thing we learned is that God created male and female in his own image. They were equal in value and in their standing before God as bearers of his likeness. We see this equality of men and women also taught in the New Testament. In regard to salvation, we're told in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now some egalitarians will use this verse to say, see, there's no difference in men and women. They can do the same things in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom work. But we have to take scripture in context. And in its context, it's teaching that salvation is available for everyone, for Greeks and Jews, for men and women, for slave and free. So as a complementarian, I can agree with egalitarians on this point. Men and women are fully equal in personhood and worth. All believers are full members of the body of Christ. Each one has received at least one spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit, which is to be used to its fullest potential. But we differ with evangelical feminists when it comes to the roles of women in the home and in the church. While God absolutely created men and women equal, he also created them different and to fulfill distinct roles. In order to develop a biblical view of manhood and womanhood, there are some important things to notice in the creation account. It's essential to remember that God created the man before he created the woman. And in a few moments, we'll see why the order of creation is significant. It's also crucial to take note that Eve was created for the man to be his helper. Genesis 2.18 records, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit or comparable to him. The Lord created Eve to be a helper to Adam in a way that would complement him. In the context, it seems that as Adam's helper, she would serve in a role of lesser authority. The woman was similar to the man, but she was different. She was created to complement the man and to help him populate and rule the earth. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul uses this truth as well as the next one to demonstrate the legitimacy of role differences in the church. He wrote, Woman is the glory of the man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And that brings us to the fifth thing we need to remember from the creation account. We must remember that not only was the, was the woman created for the man, but she also was created from the man, out of the man. 
The Lord made Adam from the dust of the ground, and then he took one of Adam's ribs and fashioned a woman. The Apostle Paul also appealed to this truth in 1 Corinthians 11. Additionally, Paul wrote that it's significant that Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden. While Eve was deceived, Adam willfully sinned, and sin brought conflict into their relationship. The fall did not create new roles for them. It just made it more difficult to carry out their proper roles. Sin turned the harmonious working of God's ordained roles into a struggle of their wills. Because of sin and the subsequent curse, sinful men and women have corrupted the, wise, the Lord's wise purpose for male and female relationships and roles ever since. So now that we've just quickly reviewed a few elements of the foundation for a biblical view of manhood and womanhood from the creation account, we can look at the role that women are to play in the church. As Christians, our practice in every area of life should be determined and directed by the scriptures. Christ taught the same thing we learned in the account of creation, that men and women are equal, but they are different. He clearly taught gender-based role distinctions. We can observe in the New Testament that Jesus treated all women even those who were considered social outcasts with dignity, he lovingly and compassionately shared truth with them. But it's also clear in the New Testament that Christ designated male leadership for his church. Now, I am aware that some religious groups, even in the name of Christian, have degraded and mistreated women. But I can assure you that the evils that have been committed against women did not come from the teachings of the Lord Jesus, nor from his example. They have come because of sin in the hearts of sinful men. We must be careful that in our zeal to protect women from such demeaning treatment, we don't violate biblical truth. Sinful men as well as sinful women have misunderstood and abused the biblical teachings of headship and submission. God created these roles in his love and wisdom and to reflect his beautiful complementary distinctions between men and women. Now, there are several passages of scripture that unmistakably reserve some teaching and governing roles in the church for men. First, let's look at the foremost passage on female submission and male leadership in the church family. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. transgressor. Now, we must remember that the setting for this teaching was the assembled church. Wherever groups of Christians might gather together for teaching, for worship, for prayer. And immediately following this passage, we have the requirements for elders, which plainly reserves the office for men. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, we're told if a man desires the position of a bishop, if a man desires that position, overseer, elder, pastor. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife. Verses 4 and 5 tells us 
that he must be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house well, how will he take care of the church of God? And right after the qualifications for elders are listed, Paul gives us the requirements for deacons. And then he writes, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. So this is teaching that women are not allowed to teach men nor to have governing authority over the assembled church. This doesn't mean that women can't teach men math or a foreign language or how to play a musical instrument. They are simply not permitted to teach men the Bible in the church. Now, it seems in verse 14 that Paul has the way the first sins came about in mind, and he's trying to avoid similar disobedience in the New Testament church. Once again, he takes us back to the creation account and draws our attention to something different in the natures of Adam and Eve, or something in their differing roles that was violated when Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. Eve was deceived into believing something that wasn't true, and she sinned as a result of the deception. While Adam, however, was not deceived, he knew what they were doing was wrong, and he sinned intentionally. Both of them sinned, but their sins came about in different ways. God made men and women different in their inclinations. Those differences are consistent with God's purposes in entrusting leadership in the church to men. God created us to be different. Men are better at some things and women are better at others. One is not better than the other. They are just different. Both are needed and both have their place. Some people say that, God, that this command doesn't apply to Christians today. They teach that it was given exclusively for the church at Ephesus. However, there's nothing in the text to substantiate that opinion. Paul's words give no hint at all that this was a temporary command. On the contrary, it's clear that it was permanent because it was based on the order of creation. He points back to creation before there was any sin in the world to see that God created Adam first and then gave his commands to Adam alone to show that he had been given a leadership role. By basing his argument on the order of creation and the way in which Adam and Eve sinned, it's obvious that this command applies to all churches for all time. Paul presented distinct principles of conduct that apply to the house of God. They were not temporary, nor were they cultural. They were timeless, universally binding tenets for all churches in every culture. We must also consider that Jesus appointed all male leadership for his church. Before selecting the apostles, Christ spent the entire night in prayer. And in perfect submission to his Father's will, he personally chose, appointed, and trained the 12 apostles. The word translated as apostle means one who is sent out. These were the official ambassadors of Christ, his authoritative representatives. Now, Jesus could have chosen six men and six women, but he didn't. He didn't choose one single woman. He only chose men for this position of authority and leadership. 
even after Jesus ascended into heaven when a replacement for Judas was needed, only men were considered. And two years later, Christ appeared to Saul and appointed him as a chief apostle to the Gentiles. Alexander Strock wrote, if Jesus, through his work of redemption, intended to abolish role distinctions as feminists claim, then the choosing of the 12 was the crucial moment in history to act and appoint a women to the apostolate. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, we only see men teaching and governing over the people of God. In fact, we do not have one single example from Genesis to Revelation of a woman publicly teaching an assembled group of God's people or serving as a pastor or elder over a congregation. The Apostle Paul declared with apostolic conviction, I do not allow a woman to teach men or to exercise authority over them in the church. Ladies, that's not discrimination. That is divine design. Consequently, I only see two restrictions on women serving in the local church. Where there is an assembled group of Christians, women should not teach men nor exercise governing authority over men. This, of course, would mean that they're not to hold the position of pastor or elder in a local church. But there is so much more that women can do and should do, and in many cases can do better than men could do. It's clear that the teaching of the New Testament in regard to the responsibility of women in Christ's church is consistent with the teaching of the rest of the Bible, as we have seen from creation to Proverbs 31 to Titus chapter 2. There's a big part for ladies to play in the body of Christ. And next time, that's what I would like for us to talk about. You know, we always want to just complain about what we can't do or we can't have. But we are blessed with so many privileges and opportunities to serve Christ and his church. And so, Lord willing, that's where we'll pick up next time. Until we meet again, I pray the Lord will bless and keep you and give you even a greater understanding of the biblical role of women in the home as well as the church. Mm -hmm.